Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Well, how are we doing? So, uh, a couple of things to just uh, get you up to speed on. Um, you may notice that uh, little things are beginning to happen in here in the room, and uh, that's going to accelerate in the next couple of weeks. So uh, I'm just going to prepare you a little bit. All right, you ready? So this is not only for you folks in the room, but it's also for you folks that are joining us online. Um, in a, about a week, we're going to take everything out of this room, all the speakers, all the lights, everything's coming out of this room because a couple of major prep things are going to happen. This whole room's going to get sandblasted and ready for finishes coming up sometime in the future. So that means everything has to come out. So this is what I want from you. It may be that in the next couple of weeks and as we kind of go forward that things are going to change a little. We'll have some temporary things going on. The lighting probably won't be as nice as it was at one time. Uh, maybe you don't realize what's happened over the last few weeks, but we used to have a nice studio set up next door. It controlled all of our video and cameras and all of our light, all that stuff. It all had to get ripped out. So these guys have cobbled things together. Uh, last week, uh, if you were here, we had lights going crazy. Uh, something got unplugged. And so that stuff's going to happen. So are you tough enough to endure less than perfect conditions over the next few weeks. Can you do that? Great, thank you. And, and if you're here and you're getting the live feed and I'm up here with a flashlight shining on my face, you'll understand. You'll understand because we may do that. Uh, thank, thank you. She said, we know what you look like. <laughs> that tempers your expectations a little, doesn't it? Take out a piece of paper, put your name in the top, and number it from 1 to 20. Anybody remember that stuff? Do we still have pop tests in school? Do they still do that? Because we're going to have a pop test today, but you only need to number 1 through 5, and it'll take us a minute to get to the pop test, so you can relax for a second. We're thinking about this question today, what do you celebrate? I don't mean what are the obligatory things on the calendar that dictate a celebration, but I mean genuinely what brings you joy. And sometimes, if we're honest, we'd have to say, "Mm, not much. Joy, I felt that when I was little. I don't feel it so much now. Maybe I feel joy because I get a day when I don't have to do anything. So I'm actually celebrating nothingness instead of somethingness or something like that. But what do you really celebrate? What really gives you genuine joy, a genuine sense of celebration? Because it turns out that what we celebrate has a great deal to do with what we value and how we see the world. Abraham Herschel writes these words, "'People of our time are losing the power of celebration.'" Instead of celebration, celebrating, we seek to be amused or entertained. Celebration is an active state, an act of expressing reverence or appreciation. To be entertained is a passive state. It's to receive pleasure afforded by an amusing act or a spectacle. Celebration is a confrontation, giving attention to the transcendent meaning 
of one's actions. So what do you celebrate? And I want us to think a little bit, settle in and think about celebration and what it means and why it has significance. And I'm going to take you on a little journey, but we'll get back to where we're supposed to be. Okay? For a lot of years, I taught world religions through Glendale College in their life skills division. And uh, almost every service, there's a refugee from those old classes that somehow they made their way through those classes and into this church. But one of the most fascinating people we studied was Confucius. Now, Confucius was really a sociologist. It's really not a religion. But Confucius lived about five. He was born about 550 BC, and he was born into the Chow dynasty. And during that time, there was a, 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 a sort of a chaotic period of time. In fact, the period is known as the period of the warring states. And so what at one time, a few hundred years earlier, had been a rather dominant federal system had deteriorated into land barons and fighting and civil war. So that in Confucius's day, the burning question was, how can we keep from destroying ourselves? And so Confucius made several observations. One of the observations he made was, while society was really working well, what was working was that parents were passing on to their children tradition. They were, they were teaching them from the cradle to the grave what it meant to be a good human being in the culture and the world, what their responsibility was, what their community responsibility was, what their, uh, uh, their family responsibility was. But somehow over time, this community consciousness had given way to individualism. And the individualism had begun to eat away at what he called the cake of custom. And now everybody was just doing what they thought was best for them, and society was suffering miserably because of it. So as he began to explore, he was like, well, how do we possibly get this tradition to be put back together? What are the possible solutions? He, he ran into some folks that said, well, in fact, he observed that there are three major thoughts that come into it. Number one, the first one is reason. There were a bunch of folks who said, if we just teach people to do the right things, they will do the right things. Just so you know, that's a dominant theme in our culture in the United States. Did you know that? We call it Jeffersonian Enlightenment. That's how it got its name here. It just means if we teach people to do the right things, they will do the right things. It doesn't account for the baser instincts of human beings. Amen? Because we don't always want to do the right things. Not you folks. You folks always want to do the right thing. But other people we know don't. And so there's not really enough reason in the world to get people to center in on real values. The other group of people in the world said they were the realists. And they said, here's what you do. You make laws and you have foreboding punishments. And then when people know what the laws are and you punish, them if, you punish them if they don't get it right, then people will conform. And Confucius said, well, here's the problem. The problem is you're only getting the worst offenders. And then you're not doing anything about the heart of a person. There are a lot of people that don't break the law but still don't believe in it. There's a lot of people that don't do all the right things, but they don't ever get caught. And so it doesn't seem like just making rules can possibly keep. Then there was another group. And the other group said, you just got to, it's love. It's all about love. If we just love everybody and we love each other, then it'll all be okay. But the problem is we don't all agree on what love is. 
Some people believe they're being loving while other people think that's hateful. Any of this sound familiar at all in our culture today? So Confucius said, we will develop a deliberate tradition. We will decide what values are infused in our society. And this is why I want you to hear this. And one of the key things will be what we celebrate. If we celebrate things that lead to values that are not in keeping with the community conscience, we will see a decline in our culture and societies. If we celebrate things that build up and don't tear down, we will see improvement in our society. I don't know about you, but that's a chilling thing for me to think about. When I think about what we as a culture celebrate, sometimes that's a little overwhelming. But what do you celebrate? What do you genuinely value? What genuinely brings you joy? Because it matters. Jesus was really good about celebrating. In fact, he, he, he had a way of moving into space and celebrating a lot of things. Nowhere is that more important uh, or apparent in, than in Luke 15. So I want to give you a quick re- recap of what's happening in the middle chapters of Luke. Everybody doing okay? Everybody online's okay, I hope. So in the middle chapters of the Gospel of Luke, what we have going on is we have a journey. Luke takes Jesus on a journey in a roundabout way. He's going to get to Jerusalem, but some things are happening on this journey. As he travels on this journey, he's eating a lot. There are lots of banquets and meals. In fact, almost every parable teaching is taking place in the context of a meal. And those are contrasted. Some happen in the homes of Pharisees where he's being judged, and some happen in the homes of sinners where there's a celebration, and sometimes these two get crossed up and they all show up at the same meal. And in all of them, not only is the setting important, but how the interaction is working, and nowhere is that more apparent than in Luke 15. Also, he's begun to introduce to the disciples the idea of a suffering Messiah. He's begun to say to them, I know you think that it's about power, I think you, you think it's about status, but I want you to understand that at some point... The Messiah will sacrifice his life for the good of others. And just so you know, it will be a life of sacrifice. It will be a life of service. Whoever wants to be greatest among you will be the servant of all. And these are woven through the stories, this idea. Further, in the early part of Luke's middle chapters, he he sends out the 72. You kind of know this story, I think. But 72 disciples are sent out to teach the teachings of Jesus. And it's a symbolic way in which Luke places it to say, listen, this is not a spectator sport. You're not just here to learn from Jesus. You're actually participants. You're not just gathered around and absorbing stuff. You are going to go on your own. Let, Let me give you an example. 72 of you, let's go out and let's do the work of the kingdom. And so all of these things are beginning to evolve. The anger of the Pharisees, the suffering Messiah, the journey, the meals, all of these things are beginning to evolve. They come together in a powerful way in what we know as the chapter of the lost stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, Luke 15. We're just looking at the first 10 verses. Here they are. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. What a great introductory sentence. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
And then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Ten verses, two parables. So let me ask you this, how many verses of these ten are dedicated to the parables and how many verses of these tens are dedicated to the description of the celebration? I know because I counted them. <laughs> five. Five verses tell the parables. Half. Half of this section is about celebration and half is describing the story of the parables. Now the crowd would have been incredibly familiar with the stories he's telling. In the first place, we know that sheep were incredibly valuable. In fact, wealth of the day, sheep were high on the list of things that you would want to own. Now, often individuals were too poor to own their own sheep. So it was not uncommon in the first century for a village to get together and buy some sheep. That's still true in some third world places around the world. Buy some livestock. Livestock represented sustenance. It, it, it represented the ability to eat and have some type of revenue, income. And so it wouldn't be unusual for a community to own some sheep and they would take turns watching them. And then if one of the sheep got lost, it wasn't just that a family was suffering, the whole community was suffering. Everybody was upset. Everybody had suffered a loss. And they would look and when the sheep was found, imagine the celebration. The wholeness was restored to the community. The, the life, the health, the wealth of the community had been Restored. So the crowd would have immediately heard this story and go, yeah, yeah. So the parable is not really about the lost sheep as much as it is about comparing people to lost sheep. The value of people to the lost sheep. The story of the woman is very similar. Now, we're told she has ten silver coins. Now, this could mean two things. It could mean, number one, this is all of her wealth. And so if you lost one-tenth of all of your wealth... <laughs> kind of like the stock market, if you lost one-tenth of all of your wealth, then that would be a big deal. You would want to search and find it. You would want to recover it. But it also has the possibility of another meaning. For a person who didn't have much money, ten silver coins was the dowry for a bride. So perhaps these ten silver coins represent her hope of getting married, of having a family and a life. And so if one of the ten coins is missing, a whole lot of her hope for her future is wrapped up in that. Either way, these folks would have identified with what it looked like. And so now what happens is because of the presence of the Pharisees and how we're told the story, he went to the home of sinners and tax collectors, and the Pharisees were there grumbling, and what did they say about him? He eats with sinners and tax collectors. And given this context, we begin to see a very sharp contrast between what the Pharisees celebrate and what Jesus celebrates. 
So now you can take out your paper that you've numbered one to five and put your name on the top. And I know many of you are not doing it, and that's okay. <laughs> but I do want you to think about this. It's a good little pop quiz about what we celebrate. Number one, the Pharisees celebrated rules, and Jesus celebrated relationships. The Pharisees celebrated rules, and Jesus celebrated relationships. Now, I know immediately at church on Sunday, you're like, yeah, I, I'm not a rule person. I like the relationship thing. Is that true everywhere? I mean, is that kind of how your personality works? Like, you're not that strict, rigid kind of person that sometimes forgets that because some of the rules didn't get followed, the relationships might suffer. I'm not making a big statement here. I'm just asking if it's possible that sometimes this is more tempting than it seems on the surface. The Pharisees loved rules. They thrived in rule making. They had come to believe, listen to what I'm saying, that if you wanted to please God, if you wanted to accomplish what was supposed to be accomplished, the way to do it was to keep all of the rules. I'm glad we're not like that anymore. That we believe somehow the love of God is predicated on our performance. The Pharisees logicked it out. They, they basically said, well, didn't God give us the Ten Commandments? And didn't we lovingly turn the Ten Commandments into 618 rules Opinions and regulations, don't we celebrate? But the rules of the Pharisees had led to the exclusion of whole people groups. We don't talk to those people. We don't evangelize those people. We don't speak to those people. In fact, we don't get anywhere near those people because they will make our rule following broken. And then Jesus came along. And he looked people in the eye, and he listened to their story. And he didn't judge whole groups of people because they were called Samaritans. He didn't exclude whole groups of people. He included them. Amen. And that rule-breaking was, was overwhelming to the Pharisees. In fact, it's what upset them the most, that he was more into the relationship than he was into the rules. He celebrated relationships. Do we do that? Do we really do that? Because I don't know about you, but I have a long list of things that make me annoyed. I don't know that I would call them rules, but I'm sure people that know me would say they are. Just me. I wonder sometimes if we talk to our kids, would they say, oh, my folks are all about relationships. Or would they say, well... If you've done this, 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 and this. And I get it. I feel it. And God forbid that's true in much more harmful ways outside of our homes and families. Where we want everyone to abide by the rules and become acceptable before we engage. But it is in the engaging in relationship where change happens. Where love happens where life happens, where the gospel happens. Number two, the Pharisees celebrated knowledge and Jesus celebrated learning. The Pharisees celebrated knowledge, but Jesus celebrated learning. 
So the Pharisees celebrated that they had studied long enough and they had come to the moment where they figured it all out. Aren't you glad? Isn't that awesome when we finally study long enough till we have the answers? You guys are like also Tim, and you're like, uh, he's setting us up. <laughs> Not saying a word. I like this illustration, and you've heard it before, but it's my favorite, so I'm going to use it again. Sometimes you look at people and you say, you got your last haircut, 1975. <laughs> or 1982. It happens, amen? I mean, you just look at somebody and go, and I want to go up to that person and say, what happened? I mean, for 15 or 20 years of your life, you kept getting new haircuts. And then one day you just went, this is it. It's the last haircut I'm getting. I think we're like that in our understanding of God. Some of us got to be 21. We graduated from college and we're like, I got it. It's the last evolution there's ever going to be in my understanding of God and His Word and His work in the world. It's just all done. I'm finished. I don't need to grow anymore. I've got all the knowledge I ever need and I'm ever going to have. What a terrible way to live. And that's what happened to the Pharisees. We got it all. We understand it. We've locked it down. We've made the rules. Everything is packaged up. But their knowledge, based on Scripture, did not allow them to recognize the Son of God inhabited in human flesh in their midst. In fact, their understanding lockdown dogma about Scripture allowed them to not only not recognize Him, but to reject Him and condemn Him to death. So that Paul would say, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Keep learning. Keep growing. Keep And Jesus celebrated learning. He was more excited about folks who knew nothing and learned a little bit. He, he He didn't celebrate them less than the person who was a saint and was still learning a little bit on that end. Amen? Listen, that's pretty good news. Because I don't know about you, but I kind of grew up in an environment where there was an understanding that before you were going to help other people in their journey of faith, you had to kind of get to a certain level. You had to kind of go to a certain and then, and even though we celebrated that in some way and practiced it, a lot of times the people who were out there, they had a lot of this, but they didn't have a lot of this. And Jesus celebrated every little bit of learning, every little bit of learning. He celebrated. Number three, the Pharisees celebrated crisis and Jesus celebrated process. The Pharisees had a roadmap to righteousness. And it was very simple. It was hard to do, but it was simple to understand. Here's what you have to do. You do this, 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 and this, and then you'll be righteous. And that's how they lived. In fact, they had such a path to righteousness so many rules about righteousness that the only people who could actually become righteous were those who gave up everything else and became professional rule keepers. We call them Pharisees. That's what they did with their life. They kept all the rules. And Jesus came along and He said, Listen, you have hit every waypoint on your way to righteousness except one. You're like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside. 
but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. Maybe we've been around this. And it's not like crisis isn't important. To come to a moment in which we invite Jesus into our heart, we repent, we confess our sins, we receive forgiveness, we, we are baptized in celebration, we, all of those things are important waypoints. But none of them replace the need for a human being to be in process. Amen? If you've been around church for a while, you probably have met some folks who have hit every waypoint, but they're not very nice. Oh, you're going to abandon me now? (laughs) I grew up in a very clear knowledge of how you got righteous. You got saved. You got sanctified. Anybody know that language? Yeah, we don't use it a lot. You got saved. You got forgiven for your sins. And then when you got sanctified, you gave God your whole life. Other churches call it consecration, you know. And then we used to laugh because be, we got saved, we got sanctified, and then we got petrified. <laughs> and we had a lot of those folks. Amen? Amen? And shouldn't we be people? Jesus said, I'm looking at the condition of your heart. I'm celebrating. I know that there is a messiness to life. I know there's a messiness to being human. I know there's a messiness to growing in your faith. I know that sometimes it's three steps forward and two steps back. And we're not just celebrating the crisis. We're celebrating the process that you're growing and changing. David was said to be a man after God's own heart. How could such a mess be a man after God's own heart except God is in the business of the process of a human being. When he looks at us, Thomas Merton says, I do not believe when I think I am pleasing God that I am necessarily pleasing him. I do believe when I desire to please God, I have pleased him already. Amen? (laughs) And Jesus celebrated process. He celebrated it from the top to the bottom. Somebody that had never been around any sort of understanding of God and his love and his grace in that moment... He celebrates. He celebrates. He doesn't hold off till it's all done. He celebrates the process. He celebrates the process. Do we? Is that something we recognize even in our own hearts and lives? <laughs> Sometimes we measure ourselves like, did I hit all the waypoints? Not, I'm making some progress. I'm a work in progress. Number four, the Pharisees celebrated closed minds. Jesus celebrated open arms. The Pharisees believed it was a virtue to lock it all down, to have all the knowledge, to get their minds narrowed. In fact, just go ahead and close them. We know everything we need to know. We understand everything we need to understand. And Jesus instead lived with open arms. Do we? I have a a friend who pastors uh, a church in Oklahoma City. The church in Oklahoma City started our Eswatini partnership. We joined them in our partnership in Africa. This is sort of his mantra. I've heard him say it hundreds of times. Live open-armed. As a congregation, let's live open-armed. Let's don't live closed. Let's live open-armed. You'd be surprised who God will bring into your world for an embrace. You'll be shocked. You'll be surprised. Live open-armed. The Pharisees celebrated closed minds. They, they celebrated that this was 
the gnosis. This was the core of the knowledge. This was the esoteric truth of all of life. This was the dogma. Everybody adhered to it. Nobody think outside this box. And Jesus came along and said, no, let's blow that box up. Let's let the love of God penetrate all the way down to the heart of a human being and draw that human being into personal relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit so that over time, God will form himself inside the heart of a human being. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't transform us from the inside out, we're not getting changed anyway. Amen? Amen. So maybe we live open-armed and embrace people into a loving community. This past week, we had arts camp over at the Pasadena campus, uh, and kudos to everybody that was a part of it. I mean, what a deal. That was a whole bunch of kids, and that was a whole bunch of crazy. I went Friday night to the showcase. Listen, there was dancing and singing, and there was filmmaking and there was music composition, and there was photography. And my favorite part was there was drumming. (laughs) Like every kid in the camp at one point got on the stage and played the drums all at once. (laughs) And it was not chaos. It was fantastic. And I thought... There's some people that would not be happy about what's happening right now. And I thought all week, here's a crazy thing. Those kids went to church and they had, are you ready? Fun. They had fun. There's Alan. Stand up, Alan. That guy is a madman. <laughs> He's a mad. Sometime we're going to do drums in here on a Sunday morning. We're just all going to get a drum. It will blow your mind. I'm telling you, it was. And shouldn't it be that we associate the kingdom of God with fun and laughter and creativity? Shouldn't we? I mean, we we say Disneyland is the happiest place on earth. I'm going to contest that, but. (laughs) But shouldn't we at least be the most loving place on earth? And I think we also ought to be the happiest. This place ought to be a place where there's laughter and cheerfulness, that we live with open arms like that, not closed minds. Finally, and this is the last one. The Pharisees celebrated purity, but Jesus celebrated repentance. The Pharisees celebrated getting it right all the time. I'm so glad we don't live under the burden of that. Amen? Amen. Because what Jesus celebrated was a humble heart that was repentant. Jesus told another parable. In fact, we'll teach on it in a couple of weeks. You don't have to come back that Sunday because I'm telling you now. It's about two people who come for prayer. A Pharisee who stands and says, I thank God that I am not like this other person. And a sinner who can't even lift his face and says, God, please forgive me. And Jesus says, I'll tell you which one left justified. 
It was the repentant one. It wasn't the purity one. It was the repentant one. Jesus doesn't celebrate the perfection of our choices and decisions and of our walk. He celebrates a humble heart that recognizes their own weaknesses and failures and confesses them and lives daily in an attitude and in a spirit of repentance. Whose attitudes don't get all elevated and lofty and we don't deal with arrogance and pride. But we recognize our own weaknesses and we own them and we pray every day and we plead with God to help us. And we're on a journey and we're pursuing him with all of our heart. But we are works in progress. And Jesus celebrates that. Amen. Amen. I want you to hear me. He celebrates you. Not because he's super excited about failure or weakness or any of those other things, but because he recognizes the intent of our heart. And he lives with open arms. And he celebrates process. And he reaches to us and pulls us in and holds us tight and says, don't give up, don't quit, get up, let's go, dust yourself off, that was messy, that was ugly, I wouldn't do that again, that hurt, didn't it, don't do that, that hurts, you might not want to do that anymore, okay, this is the 11th time, you might not want, amen, because we're hard-headed, okay, I'm hard-headed. Now I feel at home. (laughs) What do you celebrate? What really gives you joy? My prayer is that as you kind of took the little pop quiz, that somewhere along the way you would remind yourself today that it is okay to celebrate the same things that Jesus celebrated. It's, It's okay to celebrate relationships. It's okay to celebrate that you're learning instead of what you know. It's okay to celebrate process instead of crisis. It's okay to celebrate life with open arms. It's okay to celebrate repentance instead of purity. Jesus did. And he meant it as a genuine, genuine celebration. I'm going to tell you a couple of things and we'll be done. I, I, I don't know how many of you are big in social media and you're watching any of the reels that are popping up on Instagram and they eventually make their way to our website and all that stuff. But several have popped up. One this week was Arts Camp. It was just fantastic to watch. You saw the video and it was just fantastic to watch the kids and the responses and the volunteers and how much energy was poured into kids this week. What do we celebrate at Montrose Church? We celebrate that. I mean, how can you not see and experience and celebrate it? Another one that popped up was our high school kids at camp getting some baptisms happening. Did you guys see that one? Six kids, five kids, and one of our, our volunteers. Uh, does it get any better than kids going off to youth camp and making huge decisions for Christ? And, and we don't even let them leave. We just say, no, you're... you're... All right, now you can go home, you know? Because we celebrate life change. We celebrate hope. We celebrate what it means to be redeemed and forgiven and fresh starts and new beginnings and we're not stuck. We're not stuck. God loves us and in all things he's working for our good. That's what we celebrate. That's what we're about. I hope as you go out into this week you will allow yourself some celebration. 
because there's a lot of things in our lives worth celebrating. Amen? Amen. God, help us. In fact, as we close and we sing about your goodness, we want to celebrate it. We want to recognize the ways in which you very specifically practice your goodness in our lives. We're thankful. And I pray that as we kind of go through the list of this little pop quiz and we think about what we celebrate and how we celebrate, I, I pray that you would allow us a sense of peace and joy, a sense of your grace, a sense of your presence, a sense of your providence, that you not only have grace over what has already happened, you are providentially working for us. The one who began the good work is going to be faithful to see it through to completion. And we're going to trust in that. And we're going to hope in that. And we're going to rest in that. We give you thanks. Now, would you hear our response to your word? Would you allow each of us to celebrate and rearrange a few things and surrender a few things and offer up a few things? We give you thanks. And we offer you our response in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Will you stand? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.